Hello and welcome to Neptune Rising. I'm your astrologer, Christina Farella, and I'm here to guide you through the astrology of the week ahead. This week, we're talking about the astrology of November 9th through November 15th. And when I say that this week is absolutely packed with interesting astrology, I super mean it. There is not only the waning moon phase, which is my personal favorite, um, maybe because it's more comfortable for me to think about unburdening myself or giving myself permission to unburden than continuing to accumulate, which is what we do in the waxing phase of the lunar cycle. Um, the moon will wane from Virgo to Scorpio this week, and it's going to be drawing us down into the dark moon phase where we're met by the Scorpio new moon on November 15th, which is this coming Sunday. That new moon will arrive at 23 degrees of Scorpio with the sun and moon conjunct at that degree. And we'll talk about the symbolism and the interpretation of that chart and that lunation um, at some point in the next chunk of time. Um, this week, we also, though, have Mercury re-entering Scorpio on the 10th. We have the conjunction, the third and final conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto on the 12th, and then Mars finally stationing direct on the 13th. So we get some really like wild um, transformations of energy at the end of the week, but the beginning of the week, too, is pretty intense. Um, today, the 9th, the day that I'm recording this, um, we have the opposition of Venus and Mars. And then tomorrow on the 10th, we have a trine between the Sun and Neptune. So just like lots of different um, entry points, right, for our considered um, relationship with transformation and change, which is always the theme of Scorpio season. Scorpio being the 11th sign that's associated with death and rebirth and the kind of regeneration of the soul. Um, it's the underworld sign of the zodiac. And what happens in the underworld is that we engage shadow um, and find fertile space to connect with shadow so that we can continue to become more authentically aligned with who we are and what we're here to do. So I'm going to be kind of walking us through this astrology. I think there's just so much abrupt shift at this point in time. So if you're feeling a little kind of wonky, you know, there's always an astrological reason for that. <laughs> um, and so I look forward to talking with you about this um, as we move right along. I guess an announcement before we dive in is... Um, as always, I invite you to come check out my Patreon, where I'm aiming to really facilitate deeper astrological conversations, magical conversations, than the ones I get to have on social media or even on this podcast. Um, I think that over the course of my practice, it's just more and more meaningful to connect with a core group of people who... Um, want to be engaged right in their own astrological learning and my patreon is a place where i am sharing educational resources um, i pop in and i do little classes that only my patrons are invited to or um, give discounts to classes for my patrons exclusively and then of course there is the option to meet with me regularly as um, a patron and just kind of build some astrological counseling relationship between the two of us as 
um, the stars and planets continue to impact our lives. So I have fun with it. I think that my patrons dig it too. Um, if you'd like to check that out, you can just go over to patreon.com backslash eighth house astrology and look at my options. There are four different tiers of engagement from $5 a month to a hundred a month. And I would just love to see your name, see your little face over there, um, in my internet domain. <laughs> um, it's such a weird thing having everything be digital, but at this point I think it's actually quite freeing and maybe that's in alignment with the upcoming conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in the zero degree of Aquarius, thinking about how we're all going to be moving into a more, um, you know, technologically oriented, abstracted, idea oriented space as we move into this next phase of life. Um, but, you know, more on that in a few weeks' time when we get closer to that very important conjunction. Ah, all right, wonderful. So let's just talk about the astrology of the days in order because I think that's the best way to stay organized and that is important for me at this point in my life. <laughs> 2020 has really put a lot of pressure on me to um, organize myself and figure out how to actually be on top of things in a really powerful way. I think this was one of the lessons of my Saturn return. So that just goes to show you that even if you're a solar Virgo, you still might not have your shit together. So don't believe everything that the horoscopes say. Haha, -ha, says the astrologer. All right. So today, <laughs> Monday the 9th, we have the moon just having entered Virgo at 530 this morning PST. Um, moon in Virgo is very much about the connection that we build between the nervous system and our sense of intellectual perception, in my opinion. Um, the moon sign is always indicative of what we are comforted by, what feels safe to us and what we reach for in terms of self-soothing and, um, you know, feeling healthy and grounded and secure. So with the moon in Virgo today and for the next few days, we are invited to continue to explore that relationship between nervous system awareness and our emotional core. It's a really good day for some at-home cleansing if you feel like you need to kind of dust your altars off, my witches, or maybe figure out um, a way to like more efficiently store your linens or you know purge what's in your fridge, get rid of old stuff. I think that that is a very powerful energetic message to send your psyche and your nervous system. Like, wow, we're clearing space. We're moving through this in an orderly fashion and that's actually a good way of showing yourself some love and I think that's really powerful. Um, so thinking about what else is going on in the sky today though, Venus is striking this opposition to Mars retrograde and I think that this is probably the last significant um, dynamic that Mars is going to make before he stations direct. Venus and Mars, in my imagination, which is really fed by Greek mythology, Roman mythology, um, Venus and Mars are, you know, they're kind of like a cosmic couple. Venus being the goddess of softness and beauty, and then Mars being the god of force and penetration. And, you know, it's the feminine versus the masculine in its most purified form. Having this dynamic between Venus and Mars says that there is a kind of pressurizing or catalyzing conversation between our senses of pleasure, which is Venus, and our sense of force, which is Mars, um, not forgetting that Mars is still freaking retrograde. 
Mars retrograde has brought to our attention all of the ways in which anger is stored in our bodies and all of the ways in which we need to really engage that heat as it moves through our physical form. Mars retrograde can bring frustration because the planet of war really wants to move himself onward and kind of charge on the battlefield of life. But of course, a retrograde station means that the planet is moving backwards. And so he gets a little freaked out, maybe a little impotent, depends really on um, the degree, the sign, etc. So Mars retrograde in Aries has just been this kind of clusterfuck of anger, frustration, rage, the warring aspect turned on its head. And we have been invited to find places where we can soften if possible. Venus across the wheel from Mars, right, in a 180 degree opposition um, from the planet of war is saying, okay, there are also other ways to do this. We can be soft, we can be harmonious, we can be diplomatic and still feel as though we're making progress. Venus is in her home sign of Libra and Mars is in his home sign of Aries. And so this is a really pure and unadulterated opposition. It's one of the, you know, archetypal oppositions in astrology, um, Venus and Mars opposite each other in their home signs. And so with this kind of, you know, catching on today, we have this really galvanizing um, kind of urge to find where we can compromise or maybe break new ground in terms of pleasure versus rage or the body versus the warring aspect like where can we open up a little bit and what do these two planets have to tell each other that maybe they can learn from right the ancient astrologers um, believed that planets that were aspecting each other were bearing witness to one another or giving testimony about each other it's such a beautiful idea beautiful concept so they're looking at each other across the wheel. They're, you know, opposed and they're kind of glaring at each other. But ultimately, there is something here about that push-pull between pressure and softness that is being worked out. So check in with yourself. Um, where is 15 degrees of Libra in your chart? Where is 15 degrees of Aries in your chart? This is the place where this binary activation is happening for you. So in the afternoon, um, or really in the evening, 7.50 in the evening, the moon is going to trine Uranus today. So that always gives us this kind of opportunity to bring in some shift, right? Uranus is the planet of, of shock and change and liberation and invention. And so the moon is a kind of cozy cat and loves to do um, her like ritual cycle, her ritual flow. Um, but when she has these harmonious connections with Uranus, there's going to be an invitation to make a change. And so I hope that you can take that with you and put it in your pocket this evening and say, all right, I'm going to actually choose to identify this issue and also choose to react to it differently. Always so much easier said than done, but that's what's here. So uh, Monday the 9th. And of course, Monday is the planetary day of the moon. On Tuesday, the planetary day of Mars, we're going to see the sun form a beautiful trine to Neptune. This is pure magic. I'm going to just say that I love this aspect. I think it's really um, just powerful in terms of its expression of our connection to the divine. Neptune is all about the numinous. It is all about the collective energies that we are a part of. Neptune talks about deep wells of compassion, 
big experiences with like nature and all of its forms. Um, and it's really interested in intuition, psychic power, the arts, poetry, music, dreaming, um, any kind of uh, connection with something that goes beyond the senses is here. So whether you're trying to channel, you know, a saint or if you're just trying to get out into nature and have kind of like a beautiful animistic experience, um, definitely Tuesday, November 10th is a wonderful day to kind of walk that path. In terms of delineation, the sun, trine, Neptune, indicates to us that the ego kind of force of the sun, the essential self, is connected deeply to this numinous or divine kind of pathway. And so we have the opportunity to like really um, align ourselves with this. Trine aspects are harmonizing. They support the planets that are involved. And so our ego is supported in the act of connecting with the divine tomorrow. So I encourage that. The moon is going to oppose Neptune. The moon in Virgo opposes Neptune in Pisces, um, also kind of bringing us into this Neptunian, intuitive and creative and deeply sensitive state of being. The moon and sun will sextile one another in this waning cycle of the moon um, narrative. And the moon is going to strike trines to Jupiter and Pluto. So it's a very activated day in terms of what we've got going on um, aspect-wise. The moon sextiling the sun says that this is kind of like another egoic and emotional turning point in the lunar cycle. We're asked to unburden ourselves a little bit. We're asked to kind of, you know, loosen our, our, um, our pack and let some things go along the way as we move towards the dark moon phase. Um, the moon having a trine with Jupiter says that we're supported in terms of expanding our horizons. And then moon trine Pluto to me always says that we're supported in terms of claiming our truth. And so this is actually probably setting us up emotionally for the ramifications of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction on Thursday, um, which we'll get to in just a moment. But um, last but not least on Tuesday, tomorrow, November 10th, we can't forget that Mercury re-enters Scorpio. Um, so that's going to happen at 1.55 in the afternoon PST. This is Mercury's first entrance back into Scorpio after his retrograde station. Um, he stationed direct in Libra, and now he is back in Scorpio. So we are really retracing the steps of that Mercury retrograde experience, which took place from October 13th until Election Day, November 3rd. So if you're hearing some kind of like synchronistic echoes about communication, relationships, personal truth, um, dreaming, the psyche, all of that kind of scorpionic material, do take note and listen carefully because that is what the purpose of Mercury moving direct now through the same degrees that it was retrograde in. Um, it kind of pulls us back into that mire and allows us to find focus on what the message of that retrograde was, which is sometimes hard to figure out when we're in the moment, right? Retrograde stuff makes us feel as though the rug is maybe being pulled out from under us or our tech is failing or, you know, our routines are thrown off kilter. Lots can kind of go sideways with Mercury who governs so much of the mundane experience, um, retrograde. So now we're putting the pieces back together and I encourage you to kind of find some connection to what the past couple of months were trying to bring to your attention. In general, it's my belief that the last couple of months of this year, which has just been, as you know, an absolute challenge for so many of us, um, is that we are being shown 
what the lessons truly were of this year, where, you know, we're having the final passes of these um, conjunctions that happened in triplicate, right, between like these outer planet um, conversations, Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn, Jupiter. Um, there's a lot here to kind of be uh, revealed. And so in the weeks to come through the holidays, you know, as we all try to navigate what maybe spending time with family looks like over the holidays or not, or traveling or not, um, we're also going to be contending on a very deep, you know, psychic level with what the actual message and takeaway was of this year, because I promise that it was not all for naught. Um, there is always a message. And I don't know if that's just my own hopeful kind of uh, sense of, of being, but I am of the mindset that, you know, the reason we work with astrology is to try to find the pattern, try to see the path a little bit more clearly than we could if we're just kind of, you know, flying free with no astrology. I don't know how people live without astrology, to be honest, but that's a whole other conversation. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's being brought up at this point in time that is showing us like, okay, pay attention. This is what you were supposed to learn. Um, and so, you know, take that with you. Uh, interpret it as you will, as you need. Um, I'm not saying that bad things that happen to us are our fault at all. No, I just want to kind of also put that out there. But um, there are larger cycles that we are engaged with at all times, just by virtue of living under this vast cosmic sky. So that is my message about the end of the year, completely randomly shoved into the middle of my weekly forecast. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on Wednesday, the planetary day of Mercury, we're going to see the moon enter Libra. Um, the moon in Libra is going to bring a focus on all these kinds of conversations about um, harmony that we can possibly kind of um, conduct for ourselves. Moon in Libra is very interested in finding the emotional balance, the emotional conduit between polarities, maybe being emotionally diplomatic. Um, as we move through really challenging, I would say political and social territory, this might be a day or two where we are thinking about how to make our voices heard in a really compelling and compassionate way. Um, there's a lot of vocalization of ideas that happens with the moon in Libra. It's an air sign. It's cerebral. It's interested in concepts. Uh, but at the same time, there is that emotional connection because it is the moon. So thinking about justice, thinking about our society, how it makes us feel emotionally, and then perhaps what actions we can take to supplement a kind of more um, fair and balanced picture uh, are all things that we can connect with. So... That is what the moon is doing on Wednesday, the 11th. She's going to form a trine to Saturn. Um, so before she enters Libra, when she's still in the late degrees of Virgo, she'll form a trine to Saturn, which sets us up on Wednesday to get some good, solid, responsible work done. There's like a call here to say, actually, yes, I'm going to tackle five things on that to-do list and I'm going to feel really empowered while I'm doing it. It's a mature kind of stabilizing lunar aspect, lunar conversation with Saturn, the planet of self-mastery, slow work, and time. On Thursday, the planetary day of Jupiter, we are going to see the moon still in Libra. Um, the moon is going to oppose Mars in the early hours, around 8.50 in the morning. 
Um, and this is going to kind of bring an emotional focus to those Mars retrograde themes that are winding down as Mars stations direct on the 13th. So keep an eye out for triggers that maybe anger you or bring up some frustration or feelings of lack, um, conversations around that inner critic, which is like, you know, pretty sharp with that Mars retrograde energy opposing the moon. Just something to definitely be cognizant of. Um, the moon will conjunct Venus as Venus is in Libra at 3.30 in the afternoon PST, which is a lovely uh, kind of omen for any kind of art practice that you have or maybe kind of snuggling down with a loved one. Finding some kind of pleasure in the afternoon is a very good thing to do. So that might even just be like a good um, sort of restorative yoga flow for yourself. You know, anything that connects heart and body and the senses is going to be an A-plus activity on Thursday with that Moon-Venus conjunction. However, the real star um, or the real planetary configuration highlight of Thursday is absolutely the third and final conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto, which perfects itself at 1.39 in the afternoon. So through the year, there were three different conjunctions of Jupiter and Pluto. The first one happened on April 4th, the second one happened on June 30th when the planets were retrograde, and the third one is happening on November 12th. So these conjunctions between the planets all happening to kind of, you know, force our attention on these bigger picture themes, right? What has 2020 done if not shed all of the light on all of the problems that we are currently not addressing in this society. Um, outer planets like Pluto talk about these big deal transformations of power, of authenticity, of cycles of death and rebirth, of agency. Um, and then Jupiter, while it's, you know, still, he's like an in-between friend, right? He's a social planet, um, is definitely talking about a collective energy as well. That collective energy of optimism and of magnification and excess. So if Pluto talks to us about obsession with truth and the kind of death and rebirth that happens around telling the truth, um, Jupiter is about magnifying that. So for us, you know, little earthlings, we have this experience of being shown over and over again three times so that we don't miss it. Um, what structurally is absolutely unacceptable at this point. Jupiter is magnifying the kind of flaws in the power struggles that we are part of as a society. And so obviously it's not like me and you who are doing it. It's the, um, you know, plutocracy. It's the people in government. There's a lot here that says that this is absolutely unacceptable um, from an economic standpoint, from an environmental standpoint. There are so many breaking points um, that we have been bearing witness to. So for those of you cranky people like me who have been paying attention for a long time, obviously this is not new information, but one of the things that the astrology of 2020 shows us is that the collective can no longer look away. Like there is absolutely no point if you have a heart and a soul and a brain, you are now hip to just how fucked up everything is. So um, pardon my French. Interestingly enough, the um, folks at the Astrology Podcast, so Chris Brennan, um, Lisa Scheim et al., have been doing really interesting mapping of these conjunctions onto um, spikes in news about the pandemic itself, which I thought was really fascinating. Um, you know, so just like having little uh, either, you know, the April 4th kind of like 
this is really happening kind of thing in the news, like all these cases coming to light. Then uh, June 30th, I believe, coincided with another spike. And then, um, you know, by this time in the year, by November, we're also being told that there's another spike on the way. I don't know if there was ever not a spike or what if the news cycle just shifted away from the story, but it is interesting that these things coincide and I can't take credit for that. So that's from the smart people at Astrology Podcast, but definitely um, worth thinking about in terms of our own astro learning. Um, the other thing that can be magnified with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction is this sort of like devious quality that we have in the world. Um, Pluto is the god of the underworld and the god of shadow. And so we have this kind of like, you know, um, concept of secrecy, of secret power games, of backdoor dealings. Is that what you say? Backroom dealings? Um, and all of these different ways that Jupiter then is shining a light on that. Jupiter is like a loudmouth friend who's like, hey guys, over here, it's really cool and interesting and fun. It's a party. And then like Pluto's like, no, shush. I'm trying to do something kind of messed up. And Jupiter's like, no, it's cool. So there's this conversation where the two planets blend together and they are not able to, um, you know, reconcile without totally merging. And so in terms of what we have in front of us, there is this third and final moment where, okay, it's like post-election. We still have, you know, who in the office for a couple more months. It's a very dangerous time, I think. It's a very... Um, tenuous time where there's going to be a lot of disinformation. I think that's another kind of Jupiter-Pluto thing, um, the amplification of, of secrets or the amplification of just confusing info, even though Mercury is no longer retrograde. Um, so all of these things are here to be like, pay attention. That is the theme. Pay attention, really vet your sources, really stay alert, and think about how all these power dynamics are impacting the people that you love in your community and how it impacts you too as a citizen. So yeah, it's a big deal. Oh, my goodness. So that's all just, you know, Thursday's Thursday's news. It's interesting that it's the planetary day of Jupiter and we have this like very highlighted Jupiter activation, um, thinking about where we go to excess when we in our own personal lives are, you know, evading authenticity or evading truth. It's a little bit of a breaking point. So, you know, stay alert. On Friday, the planetary day of Venus, November 13th, we are going to see the moon enter Scorpio, putting us in new moon territory. Um, the new moon arrives, as I said earlier, on November 15th, so we'll get to that in a second. Um, but with the moon in Scorpio, it's always just this kind of call to be looking within, I would say. Um, the moon is not comfortable in Scorpio. It's a, a very um, kind of uh, wonky placement for the moon and I think that there is always a conversation of like the difference between reality and desire that happens with the moon in Scorpio. Moon in Scorpio is obsessive and focused and for all my clients and pals with moon in Scorpio we talk about this kind of disjuncture between want and the reality or the passion and what's possible um, and that's not a bad thing right I mean I've got Venus conjunct Pluto and Scorpio on my midheaven. So I'm here for these uh, Plutonian dynamics, whether or not that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but I do think that um, with the moon in Scorpio and this lunation in Scorpio that we're going to be having, it's definitely a time to be thinking about what we want deeply, like on a soul level, maybe even deeper than the soul on this like visceral seafloor of the soul kind of life. Like what is driving you? And then what is the emotional parity with that? Do you have any? So 
Those are some moon and Scorpio questions that I have for you. The moon is going to be clashing as she does each month with the Capricorn Club. So moon square Pluto, moon square Jupiter, and moon square Saturn. Um, there is going to be a very, very loud inner critic on this day. Um, you know, and I think that it's just really important to stay um, alert to that. We'll feel emotionally compressed. Moon square Pluto makes us feel like we're, you know, not measuring up. There's like a lack of power. Moon square Jupiter says like, let's magnify these emotional struggles. And then moon square Saturn says you're falling behind and you are not doing the work you need to do. So please, if you can, maybe take some of this cosmic energy and use it to do one small thing that will make you feel empowered, but don't feel like you need to reinvent the wheel on this day. It's a very um, emotionally delicate like part in the, lo the lunar cycle, right? Um, every time the moon is in a cardinal sign, she is either going to be squaring or opposing or conjunct that Capricorn cluster. Um, so I should say that this is going to happen in the small hours before the moon enters Scorpio. So when the moon is still in Libra at the very beginning of Friday, that's when she's going to be making this square to the Capricorn planets um, because Mercury is not square Capricorn. Mercury is sextile Capricorn. All right, so let's talk about what else is up on this day. Oh, look, Mars is stationing direct <laughs> at 15 degrees of Aries. And so let's talk about what this cycle has looked like. Um, so Mars retrograde happens the least frequently of any planetary retrograde, as you may have heard me say before. It's definitely, um, I would say, the most uncomfortable, maybe because of that lack of frequency, but also I think because of what Mars is supposed to do. Mars is an, an engine. He is the warrior. He gets things done. He's very interested in moving us right along. And, you know, not that time is linear, but Mars makes progress a thing. So Mars direct is all about like, you know, moving forward on the battlefield of life, so to speak, and winning battles one by one and kind of having this unstoppable bodily energy, sexual energy, and, you know, kind of interesting transformations of rage, which is very much a part of the human experience. With Mars retrograde, though, we have this kind of impotence or this suggestion that there is just going to be a kind of block around how we express our frustration. And then we are led to explore that in a very sincerely, um, I would say, personal kind of way. We all have different natal charts. We all have different Aries uh, placements or Aries will be on the cusp of unique houses and points for us all, right? So there's no one-size-fits-all Mars retrograde delineation. Um, in fact, the people who have cardinal sign placements or cardinal points like the ascendant descendant midheaven ic definitely were hardest hit but that doesn't mean that it was smooth sailing for you if you have like you know fire planets that were trying mars retrograde this was a doozy and it was a doozy because mars was in his own home sign so you can picture like this is kind of the image that i have the warrior mars is at home in his own palace and the palace is like full of blades and fireplaces and goblets of blood and you know testimonials against one's enemies and it's just like a very masculine male kind of uh, domain um, and usually when he's at home he's comfortable he can kind of kick back and 
maybe like sharpen his swords for fun or like eat steak or something. I don't know, whatever Mars wants to do. Um, but when he is being afflicted by retrograde, it's like everything in the house is like in a disarray and he can't find his lucky sword and shield and he's having an absolute temper tantrum, panic attack, and feels really out of sorts. And so that's what Mars retrograde in my own imagination has been like. And we have been in this kind of Mars ret- retro shadow phase since June. Did you know that? Um, We were in the pre-shadow of the retrograde since early June, and we won't clear the shadow of the post-retrograde until January 6th of next year, thereabouts. So, you know, we have this engagement of rage, anger, and how it moves through our physical form. Um, And so that main narrative is coming to a culmination or coming to a close um, on you know, Friday of this week, Friday the 13th, um, which is another kind of like magical haha. Uh, the retrograde itself, though, spanned from September 9th, um, where it's stationed retrograde at 28 degrees of Aries, and then it's stationing direct on the 13th at 15 degrees of Aries. So if you've got points between 15 and 28 degrees of the Ram or any of the cardinal signs, Capricorn, Aries, um, Capricorn, Cancer, or Libra, Um, you were deeply impacted by this retrograde. And so now I invite you this week to think about putting those pieces back together. If you were shown where your sense of anger does not serve you, maybe we can think about moving that energy differently. Maybe we can think about um, having some kind of somatic experiencing session, if that's accessible to you, to move those feelings or even finding, you know, a Reiki practitioner that can help you with this, or maybe finding a meditative practice or doing some really intense cardio or kickboxing to just get that warrior back up and running. I think that that's like a very good way to put this energy to use at the end of the week. Um, Mars will be really slow for the rest of the year because he's just, you know, when planets station direct after a retrograde, they're just like sluggish. It's like they're waking up from a nap. Um, So it's not going to be quick Mercury or sorry, quick Mars energy for a while. Um, But there's definitely some power in the fact that Mars is going to actually be moving the fuck forward instead of moving backwards. So yeah, if anybody has any crazy Mars retrograde stories, I'm all ears. You can write me. Maybe I can share them next episode. But um, my experience, and I talked about this a little bit before, was that Mars was retrograding um, across my fourth house um, in whole sign. Uh, and so that's the house in the natal chart that talks about relationship to the home, the domestic environment, the family, where you come from. Um, and one of the craziest things that happened during this time was that um, I had to, me and my partner and our cats had to leave our hometown because of these crazy forest fires that were happening all over Oregon. Um, And so Mars, which is fiery, in the fire sign Aries, retrograding through my house of home and safety was like a very literal kind of expression of this planetary retrograde. And it was beyond stressful. um, And I did not have fun. So very glad to be moving away from all of this. Mars retro was also squaring my needle Chiron and my ascendant. So I was just like getting hit literally from all of the angular parts of the chart. Um, And so, yeah, no bueno, but yeah, we're going to move forward. So yeah, share your Mars retrograde story with me if you feel like you have one. I'm curious. 
So on Saturday, the planetary day of Saturn, we are in that new moon territory with the moon in Scorpio. Um, and on this day, we're going to see the sun form a sextile to Pluto. This to me says that we are generating some egoic energy from that connection between Jupiter and Pluto that happened two days before. Jupiter and Pluto have infused one another with a sense of empowerment and truth, expansion, obsessiveness, and focus, magnification of all of those things. Um, and then the sun gets to kind of like hang out with Pluto, hear a little bit about what Jupiter had to say, and we are harmonizing and sort of gently engaging that warmth. Um, so, you know, sun sextile Pluto says that again, there is an emphasis on the truth, on truth telling, um, and on these authentic engagements with the psyche and the shadow. So put that to best use. Um, I really encourage that, just telling yourself the truth as much as possible. Um, the moon is going to trine at Neptune, so this is a beautiful day for meditation, the arts, talking to somebody who really sees you, um, engaging a therapeutic modality of your choice, doing some kind of like art magic or you know yoga or candle magic, anything that kind of puts you in touch with, um, with the numinous is a lovely activity on this day. Um, and I should also say that, duh, like as the sun sextiles Jupiter, I'm sorry, sextiles Pluto on the 14th, it's also going to sextile Jupiter because they're still conjunct. So that's just like kind of we're harnessing energy from that conjunction, bringing it up into the realm of the ego mind or the essential self. So we're integrating something about that conjunction on this day. The moon is also going to sextile Pluto um, as sun and moon are now traveling together in Scorpio. So moon sextile Pluto says to me something about gently generating some energy from, again, that unconscious place that Pluto likes to um, kind of hang out in. And then that brings us around to the 15th, which is um, Sunday, the planetary day of the sun. Um, we're going to experience our new moon in Scorpio at 23 degrees of Scorpio. So let's talk a little bit about what this lunation kind of brings to us. Um, in general, I believe that, you know, lunations like this or, you know, a, a new moon lunation is really about a moment of setting your sights on a goal or setting an intention for lack of a better term. I think that I sometimes struggle with this very like law of attraction language of like intention setting and manifestation with the lunations because I think it sells the moon short. It's not just like a one and done, you know, plop your intention in this vessel and then in six months time, something kind of comes of it. Like, yes, that can happen, but we are much more dynamic and much more complicated and, you know, much more fallible, honestly, than that. And so are the stars and planets. So there's a lot of... Um, I would say, need for us to be aware of the fact that we are setting intentions at this time, but we are also trying to find our way through um, what the like bigger picture narrative is. So the new moon in Scorpio season is always interested in um, setting our sights on something that's true. You'll notice that I use this word a lot regarding Scorpio, and I really believe um, in the kind of... Uh, validity of this. Scorpio gets an intense reputation, um, right? There is a lot of information in Scorpio that can be triggering to people because it deals with like the kind of gross underbelly of life or the ugly truth that, you know, we're all kind of messed up and have shadow or we all experience loss, right? Scorpio speaks uniquely to concepts of death and subsequent spiritual rebirth. And that can be very 
very scary to people. Um, so again, maybe it is my like Scorpio, Venus, Pluto thing on the midheaven, my eighth house placements. I've always been spookily attracted to these conversations that are scorpionic. Um, and so that's just, you know, my own way of, I would say, using it to be comforting to people is to say it's about truth. It's about the truth, not the Jupiterian truth, which is kind of misleading, right? Not that Sagittarian truth, which is about research and exploration, but the truth that binds us all together, which is that we are here having um, a corporeal experience. However, we are also moving through spiritual territory and need to be kind of um, compliant with that directive in order to grow on a soul level. So, okay, new moon, the sun and moon are conjunct. We have this blending of energy and infusion of energy between the moon and the sun, which says that the ego and the emotions are, are inextricably linked at this point in time. Um, I'd like to read to you the Sabian symbol that goes along with this um, lunation. So the Sabian symbol would be Scorpio 24. So it reads as follows. After having heard an inspired individual deliver his Sermon on the Mount, the crowds are returning home. The keynote is the need to incorporate inspiring experiences and teachings into everyday living. It goes on as follows. Um, Today we hear a great deal about peak experiences. The great problem facing everyone who has had such experiences is how to assimilate what has been felt, seen, or heard, and how to let it transform his everyday consciousness and behavior. If this is not done, the experience may turn confusing or toxic, and perhaps destructive of the integrity of the person. This fourth symbol, as usual, suggests to us what has to be done or how to do it. The return home from the high mountain or from any upper chamber of consciousness may lead to a sense of oppression by the normal realities of existence or else the soul that has been illuminated may retain enough of that light to transfigure every daily situation. This is the great challenge to transformation. So that's from the ever illuminating um, astrological mandala, which is um, a text by Dean Rudyer. Check it out. It's extremely beautiful, has a really interesting history, which maybe I'll spend an entire episode on in the future. Um, So for our purposes, you know, the interpretation of that symbol is talking about what kind of what I was talking about before, that upper chamber versus the bringing it back down into the mundane. That's a very scorpionic entity or or expression, rather, I should say. Um, Remember, Scorpio is the only sign that's symbolized by three creatures or three images. The eagle, which is the kind of high-minded nobility, of Scorpio, that kind of top-down view that sees everything as it truly is um, with that eagle eye. Um, and then the scorpion, which is the kind of down-low underworld version of Scorpio. It's that sexual urge. The violent primal nature of Scorpio is encapsulated in the scorpion. And then the phoenix, the bird of regeneration, self-immolation, and return to form is that third and final piece of the Scorpio conversation. So definitely very um, impactful and, um, you know, kind of interesting conduits between that Sabian symbol, which is about that high-low mentality, and Scorpio as an entity into itself. I always think that Scorpio takes the information that is up high and brings it down into the earth, into the underworld, and into this place where it can be digested and really kind of tested, shown what it's actually worth. Scorpio is really probing, which is why some folks are, you know, bothered or 
triggered by Scorpio because the sign just doesn't stop asking questions until it really fully understands. And a lot of times in order to fully understand things, we have to be so truthful that we admit our faults or our flaws. And that's just not something we're all super comfortable with. So this lunation carries that valence of like taking this, this matter from up high, right? And then bringing it down into a digestible form and integrating it into our life. Maybe a good example of this is the fact that you know, Biden uh, secured the election, um, and that is making a lot of people feel kind of excited, jubilant. I know a lot of people in my home city of New York were like just out in the streets. I was so jealous. I really missed New York. Well, I think I missed the New York that I remember before the pandemic. I don't think I would have been in the streets. That said, there is something really interesting about the kind of like high structural news or information of this election win, right? That's that kind of Jupiterian, like, you know, men in power, <laughs> God, <laughs> uh, announcing, you know, the results, um, kind of activating the collective. But then by the time the lunation happens, we have had time to digest what has come through. Um, and we are seeing, obviously, that it's not enough to just have elected um, Joe Biden uh, who is also a Scorpio, by the way. Um, it's not just enough to have elected that ticket, but we need to now on the left, obviously, push the people who are in power to continue to adopt um, you know, the kind of correct approach to things like the economy, climate change, um, immigration, all kinds of things that, you know, it looks good from the outside to have a Democrat in power, looks better than whatever the fuck Trump was doing, um, but it's still way too close to um, corporatism, right? So I think that this, on a collective level, might be a moment of reckoning. We're taking that win, that high kind of powering, like, you know, exciting activation of the success of that for the Democratic Party, and then by the Scorpio New Moon, we're taking that down to that lower chamber and integrating it into daily life and saying, okay, here's the mundane application. Good for you that, you know, there are Democrats in power, but regular people are still, you know, being fucked over by XYZ policies, and we need to address this. So that's a kind of a, you know, a collective take, I would say, for this New Moon in Scorpio. Looking at the chart itself, it's very interesting. Um, there is definitely, like, this sense of kind of burn it down energy, the moon is going to be answering to a newly direct Mars in Aries. So this has a very warm energy to it. And it's very interested in like cutting through the quick, moving right along and saying like, you know, I'm going to vanquish you to all the enemies in the room. So that's always fun. Um, the moon uh, is going to also be sextiling Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto, right? So the moon-sun conjunction will sextile the Capricorn planets, bringing awareness to the ways in which um, we can amplify things on the tangible plane. Capricorn is so much about what's touchable, tangible material, and Scorpio is about the soul. So helping us reveal what the tangible plans are to kind of speak truth to power or move ourselves forward is what's here. Um, we'll also see, interestingly enough, Venus form a square to Pluto. And I think that this is really kind of intense and compelling because Venus and Pluto to me are always, like when they talk to each other, they always bring up this kind of like Persephone and Hades sort of mentality. Um, 
right? So like love in the underworld conversation. Venus is pleasure. Pluto is regeneration in a square aspect. They are talking about the conflict that we have between what pleases us and what's true. So this might be a day where, you know, it's not a good day for a conversation with a partner that you need to have that needs to land unless you're trying to like sever ties, honestly, or deliver a blow, um, which if you are, you know, we're all going through a lot, I would say, this year with our, I don't know, our love situation. So do be gentle with yourself. Um, but in general, it's a time where there is a lot of pressure on sweet little Venus to kind of step up to the plate and say, this is what I want. I'm claiming this now and fuck everything else. So, you know, moving softly um, on this lunation, but remembering that it is a kind of flashpoint for the concept of pleasure and the way that the goddess governs pleasure is through the body and through the senses. And so, you know, connecting with your own sense of embodiment, however that manifests for you, and saying, is this working? If not, speak truth to yourself about what else it needs. And maybe from there, something will be burned down or regenerated as the Scorpio new moon encourages us to do. So lots to digest here as always, but this is what the year, or sorry, what the week, <laughs> it feels like a year, what the week ahead is looking like. Um, and I just really am wishing all of you lots of love and solidarity and safety as we continue to move through the entirety of this year. Thank you so much for listening.